The Chris Sheeran Show, only on YesNetwork.com. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the latest and greatest edition of the Chris Sheeran Show podcast here on YesNetwork.com and the iTunes Podcast Network. I am Chris Sheeran. Lou DiPietro is sitting at my side. And on the other end of the phone call right now is our good buddy, Devin Carperdian of TheBrooklynGame.com, who wrote an article where I literally almost peed my pants uh, because it was so funny. Uh, it's not really meant to be funny for Net fans, but uh, I'm sorry, Devin, but it was great. The Nets are inevitable. Uh, I just got lots of chuckles uh, pretty much in every paragraph. But especially, uh, let's hold out. For the applause, please clap. Please clap for Devin. Please, so he feels like he's wanted. I was smacking the mic. Does that count? Um, All I've ever wanted to do is make you pee your pants, Chris. Well, as long as I've accomplished that. Mission accomplished. We could all retire and live on uh, our 401ks, which get destroyed. Anyway, let's move on from that. Let's let's just uh, talk about some other things. How about, well, Joe Johnson's 401k is fine. Um, it's called his contract, uh, but he was bought out from it. And, uh, you know, I, I watched you on Twitter, Tim Bontemps to our old good buddy who's down in Washington, DC now, um, going back mm-hmm. and forth and all the beat writers for the Nets, uh, such a good guy, such a good guy to deal with as, as a member of the press. Uh, and I saw your tweet about the next 25 games are going to be awful. But, uh, in that first game of those next 25 games, uh, the Nets actually beat the Suns. Now, look, I'll be honest. If the Nets didn't beat the Suns, they should have just forfeited the rest of their season because the Suns are so terrible right now. But with, with all the joking and smarmy comments aside, Devin, what what does that buyout mean to the Nets moving forward? Well, in a couple of ways. The first thing it means is that if they want to sign somebody, a couple of guys for the end of the season, they have both an extra roster spot and they have more space. You know, Sean Mark said they have $3 million extra that Joe left on the table. And that can give him an opportunity to sign a third point guard or another wing to replace Joe. And then they have two more guys they can look at under control for at least this year and possibly next year as well. So I think that's the biggest thing for the Nets. Um, in a macro sense, it also means that, you know, Joe was kind of the last of the Mohicans. He was like the last guy that was part of the whole four years of appeasing the Darren Williams, Williams yeah. in Brooklyn. <laughs> like Paul Pierce is gone. Uh, Kevin Garnett is gone. Joe Wallace. Wallace is gone. <laughs> uh, Darren's gone. And now Joe was that last guy hanging around who had been kind of stuck in this system that was, that had ended a long time ago. And so for him, you know, you asked me about the Nets and mainly I just feel happy for Joe. I feel happy that he has a chance now to, be on a contender and, you know, play again in the playoffs and play on a team that matters. You know, it's interesting. You and I were, were both in the, in the locker room right before the All-Star break, and, and a couple people asked Joe about what, what could happen after the break, you know, insinuating more trade deadline or, or anything else than a buyout. But that was, that was a very quiet moment for an already quiet guy in Joe Johnson where he was just like, it almost seemed like he was resigned to the fact that something was happening and he was too sad about it to talk about it, but... But now it's here, it's happened, and he's got a chance to go somewhere and win an NBA championship and be a veteran mentor as opposed to a number one option. D- Donnie Marshall kind of you know, mentioned last night during the game that, that Cleveland is, is where he thinks is the best fit for Joe Johnson, and that seems to be a, a clear path to the finals. What sayeth you on, uh, on that situation? Yeah, I think Cleveland's a really good fit, and it's also like th- th- this wouldn't be the first time that Cleveland and Joe Johnson have been linked. I mean, the Nets talked about... Uh, trading him there last year. Obviously, nothing materialized. 
Um, but LeBron is a big fan of Joe. Um, Joe fills a need for them and that he can, he doesn't have to be, like I said, a number one guy. He can fill in, you know, be a spot up shooter, a six man, you know, somebody who doesn't necessarily have to have the load. Um, and he's obviously still a talented scorer. I mean, that's like the, the thing you can take from this is that he's desired by a team like Cleveland because he can still be an effective piece of a team. He just shouldn't be obviously the number one or number two option. And that's, uh, that's the best yeah, thing for him, Devin, because if he's not out there for 39, 40 minutes a game like he was with Brooklyn, he's going to be a lot more effective than he was for the Nets. Right. And no, nobody, I mean, look, he has been, he has been very clear that he feels old in NBA years. He never has shied away from the fact that he feels old. I mean, he does yoga every day just to continue to keep playing in his league. And when you're playing 35 minutes a game, it's pretty much the primary ball handler. That's going to take a toll on you. So now he has the opportunity to kind of transition into kind of what Vince Carter did in his last couple of years, become like a backup mentor guy who makes big shots off the bench it, it's a good role for Joe yeah, when, he should be at this and point. when Paul Pierce went down too I mean he had a lot of extra mileage playing the four and getting beaten down on, on the low block when he had to play defense down there especially in the playoffs mm-hmm. same deal so it's gonna be gonna be interesting to see now the the first game as, as Chris mentioned of the post Joe era was oddly enough the maybe the coming out party for the the future of Boyan Bogdanovich <laughs> Uh, who couldn't miss in the first half. His shot chart looked like somebody made a couple of mistakes. Well, if you want Boyan, if, misses. if you want Boyan stock, you better buy now. Yeah, <laughs> but, but no different point. But here, here's the question about that. Now, he came out. He got the start in place of Joe. He came out hot in the first half. But I was saying to somebody here earlier today, you look at the final numbers, and, and Boyan had what you could call a Brooklyn Nets 2015-16 game. He had 13 in the first. 20 at the half, finished with 24. Now, that's not only something the Nets have done a lot, that's something he's done a lot of late, is that he he gets off to hot starts and finishes cold, or gets off to cold starts and then all of a sudden heats up. Is this now the time for the next 25 games where Tony Brown, Sean Marks, whoever's making all of the decisions, needs to just throw him in there and be like, look, you're playing 35 minutes a game, we're going to get a feel on you and then go from there. Well, what I took from how the game progressed yesterday was that it was that Sean Marks is looking at all these guys like an audition. Like they're trying to figure out who deserves to be on the team next year. And so you saw a lot of guys get 24, 25 minutes. You know, pretty much everybody who is uh, active played. Seven guys in double figures, yeah. Yeah, Shane Larkin had a lot of minutes. So I think what I took from that was that there's a lot of guys who are getting an opportunity to see how the role fits them. And so, you know, Bogey had 20 at the half. He's probably not going to get 40. And so you give Shane Larkin a few possessions and see what he can do. You give Markel Brown a shot. You give um, Chris McCullough a shot. So I don't take too much from that. What I do take from it is that this is where guys are going to have to prove that they belong in the NBA beyond this season. And I think, I mean, Boyan, I think is one of those guys, but you know, as long as he gets his shots and scores, I think Sean Marks is going to see that. We we could keep talking about the positives of the big Suns win in Phoenix on the uh, circus road trip, <laughs> but I'd like to uh, go back to the first game on that road trip, Devin, the game against Portland in Portland where the Nets were down by 19 in the third quarter whittled the lead down all the way to three at the end of three, and then took the lead by three with six minutes left in the fourth quarter. Here's my issue, and I want to get your thoughts on this, and I've been waiting to get you on to get your thoughts on this because, again, when it comes to fandom, you know, I'm a fan of the Nets because I, I pull for the guys in that locker room. 
I grew up a Knicks fan. But it makes me insane watching this team the same way I watched the Knicks and get insane. Because from that point forward, the guy who had 36 points in the freaking game and who was carrying you throughout the entire game was not getting touches down the stretch. I don't need a turnaround jump shot by Markel Brown. I don't need an airballed three-pointer from Boyan Bogdanovich. I need the ball down in the big fella's hands and getting him uh, to the foul line. I-, I need that. I need more of Brook. Wh- what, what do you say about that? I'm, I'm actually, I'm totally with you here. I mean, look, for the last three and a half, four minutes, I think Brooke touched the ball once. Once! An offensive foul. Yes! I mean, an offensive rebound, and you got to put back. So, I, I think that there's some sense, you know, first of all, the Nets are not exactly um, a tightly coached team right now. They're not, they're but, you know, not, you're, in, you're in the NBA. You have to realize what's going on and what that guy was doing all game long. Brooke was getting beaten up down low, taking on the bigs from Portland, and he was winning. Get him the ball. But this goes back to the idea that you guys, these guys are auditioning for next year. And, if, uh, and, and when they take that shot, they uh, take that shot going in. Boo. I'm, I'm not defending. You know I'm not defending that. But that, that's the problem. And, and I'm, I'm with you because Brooke, was destroying. He was. Game. He was dominating that game. It was do- he was dominating every way. He would catch the ball at twenty five feet and drive to the basket and score on Mason Plumlee. This like, is yes. How good he was. This is what we've been talking about all year. <laughs> but see, see, I, I almost have to tend to agree with Devin there, and I was going to bring up the point before he mentioned it is that yes, that was if you're trying to win basketball games. That's exactly what you would need to do. You would need to throw the ball into Brook Lopez, keep him dominating, go with the hot hand. I don't want to say the Nets are not trying to win basketball games. Because... No, you can say that. <laughs> All right, I'm not gonna. <laughs> I could say that, but I'm not gonna. It's not that they're not. It's not that they're oh, not. God, Devin, I love you. It's not that they're not trying to win basketball games because obviously they're, you know, there's. It's not a full tank mode going on, but it's. It's not necessarily – it's more like spring training at this point. It's not necessarily what the result of the game is. It's what you see individually. So maybe that was an example of, all right, well, we know what we have here, so let's try something else. Right. Because maybe and they're the expecting thing about it. That, what remi- it reminded me of um, – there's a great quote from Mark Cuban who spoke um, – who speaks at Sloan every year, but a few years ago he said, look, the job of a GM is not to win a championship. It's to keep his job. And I think that's what you're seeing with a lot of Nets players is that they don't have contracts beyond this year, and they want to keep their job. So if you take a big shot and you make it in crunch time, it looks really good on your resume. That is the problem a, is, Brooke Lopez should be taking those yes, shots. That is, a, that, that is a hell of a catch-22. And I'm thinking about the fans, who's, who's I, I always think about the fans. And if I'm a fan sitting at home and I'm down 19 and I am investing my time, especially at a 10 o'clock tip-off, excuse me, 10-12 tip-off, by the way. <laughs> Trust me, I know, because I saw the time on the clock when they threw the damn ball up in the hey, air. Hey, it was 9-12 yesterday, so uh, it's not like I had a much better. So uh, it was an hour later for me, pal, and I walked uphill 20 feet of snow to get to work. <laughs> <laughs> so, but my point... I left early because it was supposed to snow. <laughs> there you go. But my point is, I mean, as a fan, if I come back from 19 and I'm up three... I don't want an audition at that point. If you want to audition in the first three quarters when you're down 19 or continue to be down 19 or 20 or 25, fine. You have to sense as a player, as a competitor, that I'm, I want to win this game. We actually came back in this game. I'm sorry to play devil's advocate here, guys. I see your point. I'm not saying you're wrong, but at the same time, if I'm sitting at home as Matt or or John, or Doug, I am pissed off that these guys are taking these shots when they can actually win this game. 
It's not like and they're it's p- not like they're tanking for a draft pick. That's for sure. And to your point, um, you could. Why am I so angry? You, no, loud noises. You know, Chris. You know who's the only person angrier than you about that game is Brooke. Because Brooke was frustrated. I know he was. He was throwing the ball it. over his head after the after he didn't get the. I, he you was getting beaten down low, and he, he was, was. Running, and he was still just angry. He, you could tell he wanted that one. I mean, you could really, really tell that he wanted that. And one. People could chastise me all they want. He's one of my favorite players in the damn league. He is. I like him. He's kooky. He's he's gifted at basketball. His he's funny with his brother. I mean, the comment from his brother after the Knicks lost to them at Barclays. <laughs> what, he's lucky when he makes shots. And what, do you, what do you think What do you think Poupon or whatever his yeah, cat's name is doing yeah. right now? They're on a nine-game, 20-day road trip. He's, he's, he's rough. He's probably, you got to take the cat, right? He can't just leave it at home. Nah, he's probably, right? he's probably in well, good no, hands. How, how, how often are the Knicks home? Do you think maybe Robin can go over and feed him now and again? I mean, they're brothers. Trust Robin that cat has a better yeah. life than all three of us right now. Don't, <laughs> don't worry about it. That cat has a better Instagram account than yes. all three of us right yes. now. Yes. It does. got his own cabana in the Caribbean. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Brooke, you, you go on this circus road trip. I'm going to kick it down in the Caribbean. Thanks. Spe- speaking, speaking to the winning games aspect of things, let's look forward. Now, you know, you mentioned that the Nets have $3 million from Joe Johnson's salary, which Sean Marks mentioned on Michael Kay and in other interviews. They have the $3 million plus disabled player exception for Jarrett Jack if they want to sign anybody. So they have two different two different options to add people and two different roster spots open. There's a lot of guys that are getting waived and bought out at this point. And one name that interested me, not for what he can do on the court anymore per se, is Andre Miller getting a buyout. Given that you have Donald Sloan, who's a, a, a journeyman without being too old, well, he's 28, so it's tough to be a journeyman at 28. But given that you have him and you have a guy in Shane Larkin who's learning how to do things, is a guy like Andre Miller maybe a good thing to go out and pick up and say, you know what, you're going to play 10 to 12 minutes a game, but you're going to be here for these guys as opposed to, you know, something else if there isn't another contender that wants Andre Miller in a Joe Johnson situation? Well, he said he wants to win a championship, too. Right, so. but that doesn't necessarily mean that there's a championship team that wants him. That's true. Yeah, I, I think you're in the, I mean, I think that's something that, that's something I thought about yesterday. I think if March 1st passes and Andre Miller is a free agent, they could make a phone call. Um, but again, you have to think about what Sean Marks is looking for. And if he wants to find a young guy that might stick, uh, you know, out of the D league or the international market, I mean, I think that's, that's might be where he decides to go instead. But I mean, look, the, the Nets clearly have point guard issues and it, it couldn't hurt to have somebody steady at the very least to talk through, to teach Shane Larkin a couple of things. And you know, that that's not the worst thing that you could have right now. Sean Marks knows the D-League well, too. I mean, he was kind of in charge of that in San Antonio. So, But, you know, it's just interesting that, like you said, March 1st is the deadline for players to be on teams for playoff eligibility. But come March 2nd, I mean, he might still be out there. There's going to be a lot of guys that could be out there towards the back end. And that disabled player exception only only works for guys in the last year of their contract, right? So that's right. might seem or like a perfect free fit. agent. It has to be one of the two. Do you, right. do you guys, let me ask you both, do you, do you really think Shane Larkin, if Andre Miller comes in here and tries to quote-unquote show him the ropes or teach him things, do you really think Shane Larkin's on this team next year? Well, he's got a contract, doesn't he? He's got a player option. Doesn't mean he's going to be here. Yeah, I mean, look, I, the thing about uh, Shane Larkin's an interesting case because he's so... There, you can see the glimmers. I think we talked about this in the last podcast. You can see the glimmers with him. You saw it with the Suns. I mean, he made some great plays in that first half. 
but then there are other times where he just makes bonehead turnovers. Well, he tries to go in to take shots he shouldn't be taking. Bledsoe, I mean, just, Bledsoe and Knight also weren't there either. So Yeah, I mean, that also helps. Still pressing him exactly <laughs> the most uh, dominant defensive player. Um, but, but if we can shift gears for a sec, uh, I, I can drop some mid-podcast news. Because I just saw on my Twitter uh, feed, Zach Lowe reporting that Joe Johnson's expected to sign with the brrr, Miami Heat. Wow. Wow. Yeah. They can, you guys know how I feel about Miami, man. That's not, that's, there's no bad decisions to be made if you sign in Miami. No, you know, not you know, at all. <laughs> you know what's interesting about that is it's, it's a complete different dichotomy of, of like looking for success between Cleveland and Miami. Cleveland would be looking for a guy to kind of add, compliment, insert adjective and or verb here with the gang they've got. Miami needs a guy because their number two guy might not play again. Right. So that might be a little bit more of a role for Joe Johnson if he were to go down to Miami, Mm -hmm. a little bit more PT, if that's what he's looking for. that's a very, very good point. And on top of that, it's too bad for him the boat show just ended because I think that's the (laughs) biggest reason that he would want to go to Miami (laughs) to pick out his next yacht. Boats and Joes. Uh, Boats and Joes. Joe Boat. (laughs) (laughs) He's such a Joe Boat, that old old gag. Um, Yeah, I could see why he wants to go to Miami, too, besides the uh, obvious reasons, Devin. But does, do you think, besides those, on the basketball court, do you think that could help Miami compete with Cleveland maybe to, to, to come out of the Eastern Conference? I mean, it'll make them better provided they use him well. And I think Spolster is the kind of guy who knows how to use players like Joe Johnson. But uh, I don't think they're going to be competing for a championship or anything like that. Uh, I, there's still a couple steps. Well, if Bosch comes back, it could be interesting. But at the same time, Joe's – I mean – I don't know. I'd have to think a little more through it. I guess the one thing you could argue is that they already have uh, a couple of really good wing defenders like Justice Winslow, and so you don't really need Joe to defend anybody. You just need him to hit threes. Um, but without Bosch there, that's really, really tough for them. My, my, la- my last thought is this, going, going back to the Nets now that, that Joe's gone and all this. You know, there may, I don't know if there's going to be any more guys that may get bought out or just benched or whatever if you know, Thomas Robinson doesn't pan out or, or how Sean Marks sees fit to do it. At this point, 25 games left, you're 16 and 41. Everything is what it is. Even though it's an audition, you know he's going to be here for a while. Do you bring back Rondé Hollis-Jefferson as full steam, or do you just let him be a guy once he's back for the last you know, month or so? What do you mean by that question? I'm not sure. Does, how, much, how much, if any, playing time does Rondé Hollis-Jefferson see the rest of the season if and when he comes back? Oh, If he's 100% healthy, you, you run him like I mean, first of all, there's no real reason to watch this team except for him when he gets back. Um, <laughs> second of all, he's a lot of fun to watch. And, you know, it's the same thing with Chris McCullough. You want to give him the healthy run that he can get. I mean, there's not like anybody standing in his way. And I think a, a lineup of him with Bogey is a pretty nice wing combo if you're looking at two young guys, if you're trying to figure out if they, they last beyond this year. And then you got Young and Lopez. I think that's a, that's a, that's a much more entertaining lineup than without him. Is he close, Devin? Uh, I, from what I've heard, he should be back uh, in March, or at least early March. So that shouldn't be that long from now. They're supposed to give another update on him soon. Okay. Um, but from what I've heard, the the likely time is kind of sometime in the beginning of March. And if they want to hold him out a little longer to make sure he's hundred percent, you know, maybe mid March. Wait till the till the circus trip is over, kind of thing, and bring him back. At right. Home. You know, one more for me. I I, I don't know why. 
Joe would go to Miami over over Cleveland. He's just so laid back. I think he'd be a perfect fit for Cleveland. He's not going to look to be in the spotlight or limelight like Love. He's a lunch pail guy. Yeah, he's, he's a lunch just, pail city. That just fits for him. Well, I, I, I mean, don't don't, don't, don't get me wrong. Got to read. I mean, yeah. When you look at because here's like all right. So here's one of my favorite stories about Joe was um, the first year that they had uh, the year they had KG and Pierce. I was talking to a Nets official about just everybody on the team and Joe. And this Nets official is a guy who travels with the team. He's with them often. And uh, I was like, so I was trying to set up an interview with Joe. And he was like, I, and I was like, does Joe know who I am? And the, the, the team official was like, I don't even think Joe knows who I am. <laughs> and, and the thing is, like, I've talked to Joe a lot. I've had 20-minute conversations with Joe. I've had on the record, off the record. He's somebody that I've talked to a fair amount over four years. And I don't really think he knows who I am at all. And for most people, you find that insulting. But for Joe, it's just modus operandi. It's just the way he is. He's just very laid back. And so the idea that he wants to retire to Florida like most older guys, that doesn't surprise to me at all. All right. Me. All right. Very well. Yeah. Very good. Devin, thank you very much for coming on. We appreciate some time, buddy. Always, man. You know I love talking to you guys. Yeah. Right. Ditto. Talk to you soon, buddy. All right. Take care, all right, guys. Buddy. Take care. There he goes, Devin Carperdine of the Brooklyn Game.com. He's also at UUORDS on the Twitter machine. It's a clever play on words by words. Yes. Um, let's go to baseball, shall we? Yeah. Um, we got some big Yankees news. Uh, Brett, Brett Gardner's other wrist is apparently not 100%, as we found why out earlier we, this week. Why are we finding this out now? This at is the beginning th- of spring th- training. And is- why is an injury that happened last season? Still lingering now, and no one's ever heard about it until now. This is a question I wondered myself, and <laughs> something we we can debate because I I, I don't know. I, he apparently hurt himself crashing into the wall, making a catch in, in early in the wild card game, right against the Astros, and didn't really. Now I can understand it's the off season is what it is, but he didn't really look into it until it was still bothering him a month later. At which point they found a bone bruise. Which the, the 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 two phrases New York Yankees and bone bruise really never seem to be happy with each no, other. No, ever. Because every bone bruise turns into something that makes guys miss immense amount of times, or in the case of Derek Jeter, play on it till you break it and miss an entire season. Exactly. So that would be very worrisome to me if I were Brian Cashman and and so any, now it's you know, now it's both team. wrists. So the yeah I. I'm going to mix up which one is which, but apparently the le- the left wrist was the one that bothered him for much of the season, and the right wrist, which is his throwing hand, is that no, the correct other way? So the other way around, it's his throwing hand is the one he's hurt that's hurt now. Left, so that's his left hand. So it was his right wrist that was hurting before. Either way, yes, it's a different wrist. My God, I mean, see, I never understand how someone and look, he might not have known how severe it was, but something tells me you have to know. From October, what was it, 1st? What, the wild card the game? The wild card. The wild card game was the 6th. 6th. Okay, from October 6th to now. And now is February, late February, for crying it's out February loud. It's February 26th. So there we're looking go. at, As we yeah, tape this. 90-some days. Doesn't that bother you at all? Here's, here's what bothers me about this and about everything and about the whole situation. And it's going to go back to the fact that the Yankees were apparently investigating or fielding offers or looking at what they could get for trading Brett Gardner. And you say he's on a friendly contract and this and that and whatever. He's, he's 31 years old. You know, he's going to turn 32 this year. Um, I believe his birthday is later in the summer. Mm-hmm. He missed 
almost the entire season in 2012 after hurting himself diving for a ball. He struggled a couple of years ago with, you know, some lingering injuries. 2014, he, you know, he had some lingering injuries going on and everything that he always talked about. Last year, he apparently played through a, a wrist injury for most of the second half of the season. Now he hurt his other wrist running into the wall. He's, he's done this kind of thing. And, you know, the injuries that happened towards the second half, he's been a bad second half player the last few years. At what point do you realize that he slayed Heathcott? Yeah. I, I mean, you know, this this is what's kept Slade Heathcott from, you know, fulfilling his major league destiny, for lack and, of a better way to put it, is that he plays recklessly. And I'm not saying Gardner plays recklessly, but he plays recklessly enough that his body breaks down. We're seeing this in the form of Brett Gardner over the last four years, and nobody is talking about it. I talked to people down in Scranton-Wilkesbury when I was down there doing a story uh, last year. And Gardner, when you were down there talking to Ref Snyder and Jacob Lindgren, yeah, right? Yeah, and, and Gardner came up in conversation, and everybody I talked to who was there when Gardner was there said, you know, he was the type of player that needed to do stuff like that in order to get to the next level. You know, he's not the biggest guy. He's not a home run hitter. He, he, has, he had speed. He had to prove he could hit the ball because mm-hmm. if you have speed, you can't hit. You're useless. So, oh, Gar- sure, Rico Noel, yeah. Well, Exactly. Unless that's your career path. Exactly. But Gar- and you're, you know, you come up late in the season, mm-hmm. you're a pinch runner. But Gardner proved that he could hit, but he also would do he ran into the wall so hard one time out down in Scranton that he almost lost a testicle. He hit the wall so hard chasing a ball, that almost happened to him. That's how hard he hit it. I mean, this, but you cannot blame guys like Heathcott and Gardner. Their main goal, their main focus in life is to get to the show. Mm-hmm. They, these are guys who are not anointed with the holy chrism of you're going to get the fast track through the minors and you're going to be a major leaguer. Don't worry about it. Yeah, he's son. not Aaron Judge. No, he's not Phil Hughes. Yeah. You, you know, when Hughes was James Caprellian, when Hughes was here. signed, they called him Baby Rocket for crying out loud. Yeah. You knew at some point that guy was going to be on the major league team. Right. So, a guy like Gardner, and it's all catching up to him. And as Lou said, he's 31. He's going to be 32 this year. I, I can't fault. I, I love the guy. I do. Um, since 2005, I've been watching him. Down in Staten Island all the way through. All that stuff, though, that he's done throughout the years down on the farm to get to where he is now is starting to catch up to him. And maybe there's a degenerative thing with his wrist from all the diving and all the nonsense that he's it done. Was, and it was the elbow in 2012 is right. what ended up being the problem after right. diving for the ball. So, I mean, his, 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 his extremities not, are, are... I'm not, not saying this is his fault. I'm not getting on him. I'm not getting on his case. But at the same time, as a professional, you have to... You can't go to spring training and have this problem. Maybe he told the Yankees and maybe they kept it quiet. And that's probably what happened. But at the same time, it's just frustrating for a fan, and I'm speaking for the fans, for a guy to show up at spring training in his first day, he's got two yeah, wrist and, injuries. And, le- and let, me, let me tell you something that about this. no because, one knew about. Because the Yankees have a glut of upper-level outfielders. It's not good, period, if you're showing up to camp and on your first day you're doing tee and toss for the first time in, since you took your last at-bat in October. And what do you, what do you pass the physical if they did move him? Who knows? Exactly. So it's it's not good as it is if you're doing tee and toss. Right. But you add in that Mason Williams, you know, he's he's bat- taking batting practice, but he's not even convinced he's going to be ready for opening day. They told him eight to ten month recovery when he had his shoulder surgery. That was in early August. 
eight months is literally opening day from the day he had his surgery. It's like three days after opening day. So he might not be ready. Brett could be a little bit behind. It's Gardner said he usually starts hitting December 30th, like right after yep. Christmas. So he's, he's six weeks, eight weeks behind. And he didn't pick up a bat until you just said yeah. he did. So seven, seven and a half weeks behind, eight weeks behind? And now he's, is he shutting it down now too? No, he's he wanted to hit again today apparently from what I was reading. But, you know, obviously they told him no because the Yankees aren't going to rush it. But it's. Well, we all know what happened with Mark Teixeira's bone bruise. We all know what happened with Derek Jeter's bone bruise. So mm-hmm. I would assume they would take x-ray after x-ray and MRI after MRI until they find what the hell they'll, is going on. They'll take one an hour if that's what it yeah. takes at this point. Yeah. But, but on, as you said, they're on the flip loaded side, with the outfit. Right. On the, on the flip side of this, though, you wonder why they don't want long-term commitments, you know, Jacoby Ellsbury notwithstanding. This is why. Yeah. I mean, this is... And, and like you said, you know, this is how Gardner has to get to the show, or Mason Williams, or guys like this Heathcott. But there comes to you know there comes a point. Brett Gardner's become a bit more of a power hitter in the first half, at least over the last couple of years, and done a lot more than just be that speed right. fourth outfielder. I mean, we know his pedigree. He was a walk on in college, labeled as a guy who college might be Charleston, ceiling as a fourth yeah. outfielder, and he was an all star last yep. year. There comes a point in time where you have to make adjustments, or else the game will adjust for you by by pushing you out. I mean, it's it's that simple. It's a great way to put it. And pitchers know that more than anybody. Yeah. Because, you know, just like you could tell with Nathan Avaldi last year, you can throw 99 all you want. If it's in the same place every time, eventually you're going to get the timing well, down. Look what Curtis Granderson did to one yeah. of his 98-mile-an-hour fastballs in that first Mets series at Yankee yeah. Stadium. Crushed so, him. I mean, that's that's the big news out of Yankees camp. That's really all the big news. Everything else is status quo. Pete, well, Pete Cosma is apparently hurt, but, you know, there, there's whatever. Some, there's something else, something that grinded my gears that I want to talk to you about. We, we've already hit the 30-minute yeah. mark. And Thanks. there's one other topic I want to bring up, too. Well, do so you we'll, want to do that first? No, go, we'll go into we'll Are you go sure? Into your, yeah. Because I still want to talk about Rocky Five a little bit, too. That's fine. We'll go you, me, you. How about how about it? All right. We can go walk. I like that. We're, we're on a short podcast schedule for the next few weeks, so we can go a little extra time. Doctor? Doctor? Glad I'm not sick. So here's the thing that grinded my gears up a little bit. David Ortiz uh, told Kevin Kernan, our buddy. David Ortiz. That uh, the one thing he wants more than anything in his swan song, his retirement season, is the Yankee fans to give him a standing ovation um, at the end of this season. Uh, there were Facebook threads. There were people on Twitter. and you know, There was a, conver- a long conversation about it on the Michael K. show. Didn't see the it. Other day but, well. Everybody's uh, talking about it is the point. Everybody's talking about it. Okay. So here's my thing. Uh, Brandon Tierney, uh, we f- I think he follows me on Twitter. I-, I don't care if he does. I follow him. I, I like BT and uh, friends on Facebook as well. So he posted this long thing about how uh, Ortiz should have the same respect and blah, 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 blah as Jeter, and he's going to stand and applaud if he's at that game. So here's my response to Brandon Tierney, who I respect – admire, big fan of what he does. He's an idiot. And here's why. David Ortiz has killed the Yankees time and time again. But that's not the reason. So Derek Jeter and Mar- Mariano, so that can't that's be not the reason. It's not the to reason. To the Red Sox. Right. right. That's not the only reason. If he <laughs> did that and did it with class and dignity, 
Maybe I get up and stand I mean, up and show him the same thing I'm, when he's yeah, leaving. I'm sure our good friend John Flaherty can remember one instance somewhere around July 1st, 2004, around 1030 at night or so where Derek Jeter killed the Red Sox just like to show how much he cared about the rivalry. I, 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 I understand. <clears throat> and you know what Derek Jeter did? Or you know what John Flaherty did? He hit the ball, ran around the bases, came in and celebrated with his teammates. Mm-hmm. You know what Derek Jeter did every time he hit a home run? He dropped the bat and ran around the bases. In a World Series, did he pump his fist? Sure he did. But did he ever stand there and watch a baseball clear a fence before he started jogging to first? Jogging to first? Well, that might be running for David Ortiz. This guy has disrespected not just the Yankees, but every single team he's homered off of in his career. Every single freaking team. Disrespected. So now he wants to be respected when he leaves the game? doesn't work like that. If you play the game the way it should be played and you don't show up pitchers and you don't show up t- teams when you're doing your baloney around the base paths and popping out your, uh, your stupid chain as you're rounding the bases, I'm sorry. You're not getting me to stand up and clap for you. It's not happening. I don't care. You want to call me a curmudgeon? You want to call me a guy who's stuck in the past with, oh, it's the unwritten baseball rules. Fine. Yeah, because that's me. That's the way I was raised. That's the way I was brought up. And the crap that he used to do, the histrionics or lack thereof, going around the bases after he hit a home run, that does not garner respect. That garners people sitting on their hands and not giving this guy a lick of respect when he leaves the game in his last game at Yankee Stadium. Let me, let me, let me, here, let me put it out there for fans like this, people who are thinking of getting up and showing class and taking the high road, okay? This is something, would you give him a standing ovation if on the last day of the season, the Yankees and Red Sox were battling for a playoff spot and they played each other and this guy hits a home run and flips the bat practically into the stands, and walks to first base. You're going to give that guy a standing ovation? You call yourself a Yankee fan? I'm sorry. I, I, I'm old school. I liked in the, seven, the late 70s where they hated each other. In the 80s where they hated each other. Christ, even in the 90s they hated each other. Now with everybody's out there smacking each other on the back. Hey, we make millions and millions of dollars. Who cares? The rivalry, what rivalry? Let's go out there. No. Not with me. Not with me. Not having it. Sorry. Not sta- I'm not going to be there, first and foremost, that's for sure. And if I was, I would not be standing and applauding. Yeah, here's my take on it. And you, you fall in line with where Michael and Don were in that conversation for the most part. Here's my take on it. I'm not going to begrudge anybody that wants to show appreciation for David Ortiz's career. Regardless of what you want to say about his possible involvement with PEDs or, I didn't or even things bring like that, that. Up. right? <clears throat> you have to though at this point in time because it's the hot button issue, and it's going to be brought up with a Rod, regardless of how much of a model citizen he is for the next two years when his career winds up. It's 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 to there. Me it doesn't matter. It's there. It's the eight hundred pound gorilla. Is in the Barry room. Bonds in the Hall of Fame? No. Is Roger Clemens in the Hall of Fame? Nope. Nope. It's the eight hundred pound gorilla in the room. It's going to have to be mentioned, regardless of how you feel. He's had a great career. He's got five hundred home runs. You know. This and that, blah, blah, blah. Okay, great. If you want to appreciate that, fine. The problem I have with, with him saying that is, A, you don't ask for stuff like that. You, you just don't. You don't. He's speaking candidly. I get it. But you, you just don't. It. You don't. You make, just get it you, if it yeah. happens. Derek Jeter killed the Red Sox over his career. Mariano Rivera killed the Red Sox over his career outside of 2004, which we won't go into. Beyond that, 
they both played the game from 1995 until 2013 and 14, respectively, Mm -hmm. with respect, with class, with honor, whatever. And I'm not saying that because I'm a Yankees homer. I'm not saying that because Randy Levine signed my paycheck. It's the truth. It's the truth. Okay. (laughs) They they got that around the league. They they got that respect around the league because of the players they were that transcended Major League Baseball. If this were a different time, you know, Chipper Jones was the first to kind of get it. And I, I honestly hope it stops with Derek because not every guy who's had a good career deserves a farewell tour. This isn't, you know, this isn't cinema. You know, but Ken Griffey Jr. probably should have gotten a farewell tour too for the way he transcended the game. And various other players should have gotten the same thing if, if we want to be fair about it. That said, Chipper Jones played the game with respect, played the game with class, played the game with everything you want to look up to as a role model. He got props when he retired you know, that season from everybody in the league. Derek Jeter, the same way. Mariano Rivera, the same way. As you, put, as you hit the nail on the head, David Ortiz, quite frankly, hasn't. Now, in Boston, he's a cult hero. And that's completely understandable because, you know, he's helped the team win. A, he ended the curse. Right. He helped end the curse. He's of helped, course he He's is. helped the team win three World Series. Right. The speech at Fenway Park that, you know, after they came back from yes. the marathon bombing. You know, all the things he's done for Boston and to become a, a working class cult hero in Boston. That's fine. I get it. I get that In too. New York, he's not. He's not. In Texas, he's not. No. In Anaheim, he's not. No. In Milwaukee, he's not. So I don't begrudge anyone who wants to show appreciation for his career because you know what? David Ortiz has had a great career regardless of how or when or where or why he's done it. Or how much. He's done it. He's had a great career. But he's not one of those transcendent all-time players that deserves, you know, the Lifetime Achievement Award every time he steps on the field this year. Not to mention that he said in the midst of all these farewell tours that he didn't want one of those and would never announce his retirement beforehand so that he would get and look what he did. Yeah. So there you go. So he's also a hypocrite on top of it. Good job uh, by you. I, I thought you would, uh, you and I would have a good time talking about that. Yeah. Now, what's your thing? No, you know we can save it because it's, it's. Are you sure? It's pretty interesting. Yeah, it's about it's about free agency. It's about qualifying offers. It's about killing baseball. Okay. And it's it has to do a lot with. I don't know if you saw what Casey Close said about Dexter Fowler situation. Which all right, I we'll save not. it. We'll save it for our podcast next week. Okay. Um, cause it's an interesting topic and we may not have too much in the way of breaking news, uh, for our one podcast All right. next week. So, so he, he, here's... which we should probably mention before we get into this last oh, topic that, uh, we'll have one show next week and then we're off for two weeks. You'll be with the Nets. I'll be with the Yankees and then, uh, we'll be reconvening somewhere around St. Patrick's day. So yeah, I'm going to Minneapolis and Toronto and Lou gets to go to Tampa. Yeah. Ugh. Anyway, moving on. Probably make you really sad if I told you that my one road trip this year is going to be San Diego too, right? Like I said, moving on. (sighs) Okay. Um, Twitter today, of course, um, Tony. um, You know him as Duke. From Duke from the Rocky movies, passed away. He was 78. He was Apollo's trainer. He trained Rocky in Rocky four to take on Drago. And, uh, he was in Rocky Balboa's, you know, he was in that hurting bomb scene. Uh, it's a scene that, uh, gets played over and over again at the gym, uh, by me on YouTube into my headphones when I need the extra oomph. And, uh, he, he passed away and it's sad, you know, it really is sad that, that my childhood 
you know, every, everything kind of from my childhood is dropping left and right. And it's kind of sad to know that I'm not a kick in the rear end away from 50 and I'm 18 years away from I'm less than two decades from being 60 for crying out loud. Yeah. Tony, you know, <laughs> yeah, it's funny. I'm looking at his filmography now. Tony Burton was actually a really good boxer. Yes. Um, you know, he was a golden gloves, light heavyweight champion in, in the fifties in, uh, in Michigan. Um, so he was actually a really good boxer, yeah. which makes his role in the Rocky movies that much more um, truthful, I guess. Um, but his filmography I'm looking at now, like he was in The Shining. He was in one of my favorite crappy movies of all time, Armed and Dangerous. Love that. He was the guy at the pier. Yeah. Yeah, he was. I'll talk to him. <laughs> he, was, he was in, in Hook, really? uh, Robin Williams classic. Yeah, apparently. He was in House Party 2. Never Kid saw and play. House Party too. I saw the first one. Um, so, so he had a pretty good, uh, pretty good career outside of being, you know, Duke. And he had also the pleasure of not making an appearance in Rocky Five, which was the worst. Oh no, he was in it. He was. He was in it in a flashback, I think. Wait a minute. Or like a like a past sequence. Yeah. He, he but was, was it a, was it a past sequence that they filmed for the movie, or was it a past sequence that already was in one of the old movies? Am I? spazzing out right now i think it i think it might have been like one of those like kind of look back sort of i things. have tried to block rocky five out of my memory banks for good reason now our good buddy we must be nets john uh disagreed with me on twitter and said rocky five holds ground because of george washington duke <sighs> that's not a good argument john <laughs> i'm sorry it's just not was he a good quote-unquote character yeah, I mean, I'll give you that, but this movie was dog excrement. Even Stallone said if he had the opportunity, he would have wiped it out completely. And my tweet was, they should round up every single known copy of it and ritualistically get rid of it. Chanting, bonfires, all legal in doing this. Um, the movie was just terrible. It was terrible. You know what I think it is? Actually, now that I remember, because I haven't seen Rocky Five in a long time because it sucks. It's um, I think he's in it for like, I I seem to remember a scene. There's like Rocky Five is the Donald Trump presidency. Yeah, it's like it's like a Rocky. It's like a two minute scene where Rocky's frustrated about the whole Tommy Gunn situation, and he goes to talk to Duke about how to get through to him the way Duke got through to Apollo, like somewhere in the middle of the movie. It's like a two minute cameo. That might be where it is. Because I seem to remember that. I don't know if it's I, earlier, like I earlier said, in the Rocky filmography or not. I'm not going to lie. I saw it in the theaters because I've seen every Rocky. I have the box set. I've I'm seen sure you do too. Every Rocky. I have. Yeah. I have it. Every Rocky movie I saw in the movie theater. And I just saw Creed when it came out as well. And I got to tell you, it, it, it's just, it's terrible. It's terrible. First, he loses all his money. He goes back to the slums in Philadelphia. Uh, Paulie, you know, with the accountant does something stupid. Mm -hmm. They lose the money, whatever. So right there, you're like, no, this is stupid. And, and you can't make a Rocky movie without the guy being in the ring. How is he not in the ring in five? And then he gets in the ring in Balboa, which I thought was a tremendous bounce back mm -hmm. for the franchise. And then Creed was even better than that. I mean, Creed is getting compared to the one that won the uh, Oscar for crying out loud. See, now Creed at that point would be a good, like, okay, that's why he's not in the ring. But Rocky five takes place. What? Five years after Rocky four. I mean, I know it's filmed about five years after Rocky four. It came out in what, 1990. 
So I, uh, I think 90 and 94 is the split. It would be like having Jake Taylor be the manager in Major League Two and then having him be back catching the in Major League Three. Yes. Yeah. It didn't make any that, See, even that, like, if you just wiped five away from existence, you could make the transition from four to six easily. Mm-hmm. You know, it's an afterthought. It's a memory. It's history. It's gone. So everybody out there who wants to – the one good thing about Rocky Five. I'll give you the one great thing about Rocky Five is because you thought it was over. You thought the, the, the series was over because at the end, the credits were rolling. They're showing you all the pictures from all the movies throughout the years. You got a little sentimental. That was the only time. That it, that it ended? The end was the only time I enjoyed that movie because it took you back throughout the years of all the Rockies. You know, I love the first one. I love the second and there was, one. The there third was, one was great. There was very little influence of five in Rocky Balboa, too. I mean, you could see how Nothing. Rocky you could see how Rocky became Rocky and some of his thought processes from one through four in Rocky Balboa, and there's really nothing like it's almost a non sequitur in the Rocky canon. That was very English lit of me. But <laughs> it's almost like it's just it's there and that's it. Like like, it's one of those direct-to-DVD American Pie sequels you know, that doesn't quite fit in the he, chronology. He put his son in it. God rest his soul. He passed away. Uh, but that cat, that whole thing was terrible. And how his son, you know, he's going through the, my dad's Rocky, and now I'm going to wear an earring, and now I'm going to train, and my dad's not paying attention to me. He's paying attention to Tommy. Eh, it was like, ugh. Yeah, like, like I said, it's like one of those direct-to-DVD American Pie sequels. It doesn't really yeah. fit in the chronology, but, you know, Eugene Levy's in it, so it's an American Pie movie. Yeah, there you go. All right, that's all I have to say about that. As far as but we 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 wish you well, uh, we wish you well, Duke. Um, yeah, we do. Hurt and bombs will live on forever. That character will live on forever. Duke, Duke, and Mickey are probably having a good chat right now. About, oh yeah, uh, about about boxing. It's about time you got here. <laughs> anyway, uh, yeah. So that's gonna that's gonna do it. Is that it? Is that it for us? Are we out? Oh, so long, farewell, Fweeters, uh, and goodbye. Spandex. Is that your safe word to end the podcast? Spandex? Yeah, you know. Donut's a donut. Just a callback. Donut's a donut. All right, people. We appreciate you listening to the podcast. Um, you know, one more thing. You're a wrestling guy. Mm-hmm. I got to throw this out there at you. What if the next GOP debate was a steel cage match? Your thoughts on that? Or is the Royal Rumble the, the thing where... The Royal Rumble is the Battle Royal, If yeah. you throw them over the ropes, they're out. Mm-hmm. I think we should do that. With an electrified moat around the ring. So when they're out, they're just really out. Your if it were like that for your WWE fans, Donald Trump would be the guy you know is winning even though you hate him. So I guess that's the Triple H of this year's Royal Rumble. Ted Cruz would probably be the, the Roman Reigns of this year's Royal Rumble. Like, this is the guy that's... Getting pushed to the top despite the fact that nobody wants to see him. Uh, Marco Rubio is Marco Rubio would be the Dean Ambrose of the bunch. He's you know got a shot to be in the finals, but he has absolutely no chance of winning it. He's probably the one everybody wants to see win out of the group. And then Ben Carson would be I don't know the big show, the sideshow attraction that's going to be there to get dumped. I, I got one for you too. I've been thinking about this for weeks. Is anyone else still? John Kasich, he's still, he's still he's in still it, right? He's still there, yeah. I got, I've thought about this for weeks, okay? America, if you're thinking about voting for a Republican uh, in the White House this next election, I want you to have this in the back of your mind, whoever wins the nomination. 
because I think it's spot on. Back to the Future. Rubio is Marty. Okay? Uh, Kasich is George McFly because I could definitely see that guy with a kick me sign on his back in the hallway at high school. You could even put Ben Carson into that character. Is Trump Biff? Is this where this is going? Did you have to rush the bit? Sorry. That's all right. Cruz is Doc Brown because he's that like wacko, you know, nut job from town that no one really gives a chance. But he's bright. But he's bright. And Trump is Biff. America, do we really want Biff Tannen as the president of this country? Do we really want someone who every time he gets painted into a corner and asked to give something, give a definitive plan of what he wants to do, just answer with an insult? Is that what we've been reduced to? I think so. I don't know. Super to Look, that debate last night, if that didn't take you out of that camp and you're still voting for that guy and he wins Super Tuesday, we're doomed because they made him look silly last night. And if people thought he won that debate, good night. And then Christie comes out and endorsed him and today, endorses yeah. him today. And if you thought that if, if that shocked you, Christie was his Boba Fett in New Hampshire. Christie was the one who knocked Rubio down about 15 pegs and then dropped out of the race. That guy has a cabinet position on his on his mind. Yeah. So right now he's back attorney general. Yeah. Attorney General, uh, Homeland Security, Court. anything, anything. So, hey, to be fair, as much as you may say about Chris Christie, he has a pretty good record as a, as a district attorney, right? So he's like 126 and 0 as a state's attorney. He, so. uh, he, he talks about it all the time. So, yeah. 126 and 0 is also his record against boxes of Thin Mints during Girl Scout cookies. And so. good night, everybody. <laughs> I, I was waiting for that kind of joke to come out. I just yeah. wasn't going to stoop that. Oh, low. he's fat, is what I said. I oh, am, I am oh. too. I get it. Lou can say that. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's a good place to stop. Yeah. All right, everybody. For Lou, I'm Chris. We'll see you next Monday for our last podcast for a couple of weeks. We hope you enjoy your weekend, and we'll talk to you soon. Later.